gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run Hey, this is Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures TV. We have had a great run showing our love for dogs with our show, our podcast, our social media, and all that is based on Soggy Acres Retrievers. We proudly bring this podcast to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers and ask you if you are looking for training, boarding, or a yellow, black, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppies, please check out SoggyAcres.com. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I am Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers. It is a wonderful day here in southern Wisconsin where we are at 55 degrees and sunny. I wish it was a little warmer. But I came up with an idea today, and that is to talk to people about how long it takes to train a dog to a gun dog level, started hunting retriever level, junior level, when you're starting with a dog that has no training on them. It's something that I often have people question me on, and usually the story goes they would like their dog to only be at a trainer for one month or two months, and at our kennel, we have a strict three-month policy. And that's not because you're trying to profiteer. It is basically because you're trying to protect the client from themselves as well as protect your own reputation because a dog that goes home before then could possibly look like they were ready, but ultimately hasn't been proofed and gone through things to the point where the dog won't regress if the handler then takes the dog and works with them. So, you're looking at three months on your training program and I will a lot of times then get, will my dog be doing the cool hand signal stuff, which is a blind retrieve and handling? And the answer to that is no. In three months and when your dog is at a gun dog level, you're looking at a dog that should be steady, which means that a bumper is thrown or a bird is shot or thrown and the dog is sitting at heel and then released on its name. The dog is through its conditioned retrieve, which means that it is going to go out. It's going to pick up the item and come back and sit at heel and hand it to the, to, uh, to the handler. And that the dog has been introduced to different concepts from going from land into water back onto land, doing simple uh, doubles, which is two birds down, um, in a series as retrieves, and then complexed singles where the dog is doing longer runs, longer ground, uh, runs on the ground, cover, and different things, introduced to birds, introduced to gunfire, and pretty much as many things that you can show in training that would mimic hunting scenarios. So, in essence, the dog is ready to go out and hunt. Will the dog be a champion out in the field? No. When you get a dog back from training, a lot of the first year is putting the dog in conditions where they will have success. If you want to do a lot of upland, it is having birds for the dog before they go out and hunt. Uh, One of the misnomers I hear from people is people will 
say that their dog doesn't hunt and they took him to a public hunting ground. Well, there's very few birds, so the dog doesn't understand why they're there. So they will occasionally hunt for well, 30 to 60 minutes and then walk next to the owner because they're like, wow, okay, we're not hunting. This is like a nature walk. So it's having enough birds there. Waterfall hunting, where you're taking a dog out and maybe you are only fortunate enough to get one or two birds in a year. You need to try to get the dog in a position so that they're going to have fun. Once you charge them up and they have fun and they understand what all that training was for, then it's putting the reins on them and pulling them back slightly so that they understand, yes, they have to be under control while they did it, just like in training, and they have to work as a team with you as the handler. So that is, I guess, training in a nutshell. And when I talk to clients, what our training program is, is I don't take the dogs out into the field until we're past probably about the six-week mark. Now, sometimes it's earlier. Usually, it's not later. Sometimes it's earlier, depending on the group of dogs. But my concept in my training is that I want to make sure that everything is done on the control aspect so I'm not fighting myself once the dog is out in the field. With control... We are looking at conditioned retrieve. We are looking at e-collar conditioning and e-collar reinforcement. And we're looking at obedience. And our obedience is not just at a level of what most people think obedience is at. It is at a hunting level obedience or a gun dog level obedience. And we're demanding the dog has to comply at all times once we get to, uh, to the field portion. So it's having the dog sit properly at heel. Having the dog sit until released. Having the dog come to the hear command, whistle command, or to their name on the first time. Having the dog understand that they need to retrieve something and bring it back to hand. And more importantly, if possible, even to hand where they're sitting at heel. So these concepts sound simplistic. It sounds like it would be something that wouldn't be hard to teach to your dog. But ultimately, it just takes time. When you are looking at conditioned retrieve, there are many words for it, trained retrieve, force fetch. I like to think of conditioned retrieve because the way I do it, the dog is being conditioned to know they have to hold. They also are being conditioned to know that if they do drop something, there is a repercussion when we are correcting them with the electric collar. Again, you're starting with that. You got to get the dog through e-collar conditioning before we start working with the e-collar. And it's all a process in that first two weeks where you're teaching the dog structure, teaching the dog how to learn, teaching the dog that they have to perform well and do what we want, or there's a negative, but also making the negative repercussion in theory 10 to 20% of the time and the positive 80 to 90%, so that the dog chooses the positive because it's so over the top and they're so excited to please you that they look at the negative and go, yeah, that that really sucks. I don't want that to happen. Wow, the guy really loves it when I do this. So again, it is all about how you work with the dog in your program as well. It's not just having a program, but it's giving that positive, uh, the positive uh, reinforcement and the negative reinforcement in a way so that it makes the dog's choice easy. So the first two weeks, we're working on e-collar conditioning, we're working on conditioned retrieve up on a uh, training table where we start with uh, an ear pinch for one week and then we move to e-collar work after that. Well, again, once we're through our e-collar conditioning, 
We are also working on our obedience where we're walking at heel. And by heel, I mean strictly at heel where they are their shoulders equal to your knee. Uh, we are working on recall commands. We're working on the sit command. Once we get through that first two weeks, now we start to put more pressure on the dog because one, the dog is acclimated to living in a kennel. It understands, okay, this is where I am at. And they are also they also understand the concept of pressure and the demands we're going to put on them in training. And they also have gotten the over-the-top praise. So they're like, wow, okay, I want to please this person. So the second week, or the starting into the second week and the third week, I start using all e-collar pressure for everything. I'm no longer working with the dog on a table. I'm working with them with an e-collar on their, on their condition retrieve. And I'm starting to work with them where they are off-lead so that they still have to do the same concepts with obedience, but now we're off lead where they have the freedom to choose to basically misbehave and they're going to get corrected. And they're working where they're walking at heel, they're allowed to wander off, they're called to us. I also start putting into place whistle training where I'm chaining a command of here with three blasts on the whistle and sit with one blast on the whistle. So I'm doing basically here, beep, 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 or sit, beep. And I'm putting this all together as we work toward that week six, where we're now going to start working out uh, with the other dogs. During the first six weeks, I also work on noise conditioning with the dogs. How do I do uh, introduction to gun. I have a 209 primer pistol. I take the dogs out in the dog yard where they can't go anywhere. They're fenced in. I throw bumpers for them, let them have fun. They're running around, do that a few times. And then I will turn around back and I will shoot the primer pistol off several times while they're uh, picking up bumpers. Now, this last group, we had two dogs that were very noise sensitive. So once you have a dog, if they show any sensitivity to noise, you're going to back off on it. You're going to work with them separately. And you're going to start with the primer pistol at a much greater distance and then work closer as you, I guess, get the dogs through that sensitivity. Both the dogs that we had that were sensitive are now almost to the point where the other dogs are, where we're, where we're shooting the primer pistol off next to them. But we're still baby steps. We always have other dogs out with them when we're working so that the dogs think that it's more play, they are focused on the other dog. They're focused on having fun and they're not focused on the noise. Once we get to that three-month mark, we will have it where we're shooting around the dogs. With that said, if you have a dog that is noise sensitive, always keep that in mind on your first hunts. Only have one person shoot. Make sure that that dog is not in a position where all heck is going to break loose and they're going to see something they didn't see in training. Make it controlled. Make it so that they are having fun so that you can work them into the chaos that can be at times hunting. After we get to that point of six weeks, we are under control with our mouth control, with our trained retrieve, our, our, our conditioned retrieve. We have the dog under control where we have a good recall, a good sit. Then we are going to start working with them in the field. Always remember, if you run into any issues on retrieves or recalls when you're working on water, we fix things on land. So if I ran into a problem the dog is having on water, I will stop my training at that point and I'll go back to work with the dog on something similar in land where I have complete control of the dog so that you can teach them, no, you need to be completely biddable and under control at all times. And again, from there, it is just doing more hunting scenarios, working with dog blinds, 
working with the dogs in wading water where, where it's running water, where they basically have to lope in the water, working with them in deep water, working with them in heavy cover. And that is the last six weeks is getting them into more realistic situations that you would see in competition, in hunting, and still letting them understand they have to perform during those times. So I hope that helps. I hope that gives you some ideas on a training program for your dogs. And next, after this, we are going to have a quick hunting tip and training tip coming up after this quick note from our sponsors. Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures and Soggy Acres Retrievers. In our house, my wife hates having the plastic kennels and wire crates. We need them for the dogs because we have times when they need to be put somewhere, but she cannot stand the look. So we talked to DCT Kennels and we now have a new partnership with them for a product that is a crate, but also a piece of furniture. If you want something that is practical as well as great looking, check out DCT Kennels. Hey, this is Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I want you to know that we buy all of our trucks at Boucher Automotive. We go to Janesville. They've got a great selection, great staff. If you're looking for a new truck or car, check out our friends at Boucher Automotive in Janesville. Welcome back to the show. On today's training tip, I wanted to talk to you about a quick handling tip that I use when I'm training young dogs or hunting with a young dog out in the field. And that is quite simply how I take a bumper or a bird from a dog. Now, when you are working with a young dog, you're going through your conditioned retrieve, your proper hold, you are hopefully bringing the dog into heel and having them sit. What happens if you reach down in front of the dog for the bird or the bumper is many times they like to spit it, almost drop it into your hand. And that's a bad practice that you don't want to deal with because you want the dog to hold. We're telling them hold, 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 and then they'll spit it. And if the bird or bumper hits the ground, we now have to make them pick it up. We have to put pressure on them. And at times, especially with the softer dog, it can set them back. So what I teach my clients, as well as my kids, is when you are grabbing the bumper or bird, I actually come from behind the dog's head and come up along their muzzle and take the bird or bumper. They don't see your hand coming. They're holding it until you command drop. And then they're not anticipating. So it's just kind of one of those easy tips that I use when I'm out training with my dogs that I thought I'd pass on that put your dog in as much of a position to succeed as you can so that you don't have to get them into that spot where you are having to put pressure on them and possibly setting them back because you're trying to teach some other concept. So again, come from behind their head and grab whatever they have uh, they've retrieved for you instead of putting your hand out and having that anticipation. I hope that helps. Next, stay tuned for our hunting tip after this. Jeff Fuller again from Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. When you look at hunting, you need to have yourself prepared. Our good friends at Mac Outdoors have reloading supplies as well as great clay target machines to get you prepared so you have more success in the field. Don't get that dirty look from your dog. Check out Mac Outdoors. Welcome back to the show. Today's hunting tip, I wanted to talk about making sure that your dog's in a position that they can see 
the field, whether you're out in a field, in a blind, or the water, whether they're in your boat, in your blind, or in their own blind, and watch when birds fall. I had a client say that their boat had a blind that put it where the dog would be in the blind for them, and he thought his dog was going to constantly have to have blind retrieves. And this is a dog that is a young dog and will only have gone through gun dog training. I asked how his boat was set up, and ultimately the bow of the boat sounded like it was fairly open, so he's going to work with the dog on the bow of the boat out of a dog blind. Now, in training, I work with dog blinds. If you get a dog back that hasn't or you're doing the training yourself, always make sure that the first time a dog sees a dog blind isn't when they are out uh, out hunting. I'll actually take dog blinds. I'll set them up by the pond, and I just, when I want to work on something uh, on retrieve related as far as hold or releasing their name, I just have the dog climb in the dog blind. I work them out of there. It gets them used to it. They become, I guess, very accustomed to working out of it. Just use the kennel command to get them to go in. But what you can do if you're hunting out of a blind or out of a boat or out of a field is have a dog blind. As far as water, you can either set up a blind on the bow of a boat. You can set up where the dog can see out of your blind. I don't like that if it's a if it's a fairly expensive blind or even inexpensive. You don't want the dog to decide to plow through your blind and destroy it. The other thing that thing you can do is get a dog blind with telescoping legs that you could put up at the uh, back of your boat and have the dog seated where they're not in the boat at all. Now there's advantages to this. The dog doesn't get excited, run through, soak everyone's gear, knock everything over, and become a safety hazard. So. That would be something you could look at as well. But again, you want to make sure the dog has clear view in the area the birds should fall, which would be the decoys. And you also want to work with the dog so that they understand they can't come out until you release them on their name. You're going to have a dog that is going to perform much better in the field when they can see stuff, as well as if you work them before, work them on their obedience, work with them, knowing that they can't go until released it's going to really lower your blood pressure and training so that the dog doesn't break on you and lower your blood pressure out in the field hunting again so that the dog doesn't break and become an issue during the hunt. So I hope that helps. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Have a great week and God bless. Our great fans of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are growing at an astronomical rate and I want to thank you all. I do ask one thing from you. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Please give us a thumbs up, follow us, subscribe to us on whatever other platforms you're on. And the most important thing I can ask, share our podcast with your friends so that we can grow our love for the dogs and dogs in the field and make it so that people are more involved in our sport. Again, thank you so much for being listeners. Take care. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.